0: And so the ads were kind of implying that, yeah, we all know that there's a lot of risk in crypto, we're not experts, but we know that FTX is kind of the the place that's going to take care of you, right? It's going to keep your your money safe. Um, And so what type of assurances did they have that that was in fact the case? I mean, we're finding out new information about FTX by the day.
1: Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. It's a crypto edition of the Business of Sports. We're presented, as always, by DraftKings, produced by Jack Connell, musical producer Sam Brandt. That music you hear under us is from my son, Sam. And we are going to get into a special edition because I wanted to get to the bottom of crypto. In light of the FTX scandal, and as we record this... On Tuesday, it looks like Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, the founder of FTX, has been arrested and is being extradited from the Bahamas. How about that? What timing for us? Because I wanted to get two experts to really talk about what has happened with crypto, what has happened with blockchain, and specifically the FTX collapse. So we get into it. I've got two professors that I admire and I've heard on other podcasts talking about it. John Sedanoff is a colleague of mine at Villanova at the business school. He talks about cryptocurrencies in various forms. He's an expert on the subject, as well as Lee Finer from Duke University. He's a lecturing fellow at Duke Law. He's also the policy director at Duke's Financial Economics Center. We had a long and instructive, informative, and even entertaining discussion about FTX about the House of Cards that this whole cryptocurrency exchange thing is built on. Uh, Lee especially goes into the fraud that has been perpetrated not only by the company, but perhaps by the celebrity endorsers, which I really wanted to find out more about. So let's get into it, settle in for a masterclass on crypto, the effect on sports, and of course, the House of Cards that it's built on in these guys' opinion. Let's get into it with John Sedanoff and Lee Finer. I wanted to have a special edition of the business of sports to talk about something that's sure business, some sports, but it's something that has caught my eye. And I think a lot of people's eye over the past two, three, four years, it's crypto and it's crypto and sports and it's crypto and FTX in light of what happened in the past month. I want to bring on two experts that I've talked about in the intro, uh, These people know everything that we need to know, and I'm really happy to have them. Lee Feiner is here from Duke. He is the policy director at the Duke Financial Economic Center and a lecturing fellow at Duke Law. And my colleague at Villanova, John Sedinoff at Villanova Business, who's been commentating on crypto. I heard him on a local Philadelphia radio station, was highly impressed. Now it's My pleasure to have both these guys on the podcast. Welcome, John. Welcome, Leigh. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. I don't know where to start, but I think we'll start at the beginning, which is sort of where does crypto come from and explain to our listeners, some of which are quite well versed in the cryptocurrencies, but some of which are not. So I'll start with you, John, to sort of lay it out for us, sort of the background, how we got to where we got to before we get into the details with sports issues.
2: Sure, I you know when you think about crypto, I, you go back to the origins of it in 2009 or so and you're em- emerging from the global financial crisis. So, I think that it's it's born from a pretty healthy distrust of traditional institutions and traditional finance and you know people don't always like the fact that a central bank can, you know, go out and buy trillions of dollars of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities and have uh, such such powerful influence over how the economy works and what happens with uh, people's finances that way So you end up with a digital, digital a- asset that um, is in its at its core decentralized and where this comes back to you know kind of when we, we get to the FT everything is kind of ironic because it's the centralization of this decentralized curve. Um, right. That we have, but it's this decentralized work uh, of individual to do the accounting move things along the blockchain. Um, and it's a digital currency at its core without a government backing it, which is the, the happening here.
1: Yeah, Lee?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, as John alluded to, um, the reality around cryptocurrency is very different than the hype, or at least what crypto backers like to claim. And so, despite the fact that crypto is premised on the ability to transact peer to peer without any need for a trusted intermediary the crypto landscape is absolutely littered with intermediaries. And in essence, all we've done is replace one set of intermediaries, namely regulated financial institutions like banks and broker-dealers and exchanges, uh, with an entirely new set of intermediaries that aren't subject to the same types of regulation. And we've seen how that's played out most recently, of course, with FTX. But you know, we've been in what's known as a crypto winner for the better part of the the past year. That's seen a number of high profile uh, crypto firm failures. So, despite you know the original premise being decentralization, that's not the actual um, case today. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, many people have been taken advantage by that.
1: Yeah, this decentralization though, I got. I want to pick at that a little bit. So, John, is this kind of a in simplest terms like? investors kind of getting back at the man, like, like, we don't need your banks, we don't need the way things have always been. And as Lee said, it's been replaced by this host of other regulations that are, are also decentralized. So where does this come from? What's the genesis of this sort of seen as a safer way to put your money somewhere?
0: John?
2: Um I, I think some people might tell you it's a safer place and, and it's it's kind of back to how Lee was talking about, you know, we're replacing with all of these, you know, it's supposed to be decentralized, but we're replacing with centralized institutions, but they're all, you know, Lee, if any, regulation uh involved with them. So, you know, you're you're forfeiting a lot of the hard hard fought and hard learned lessons. Of the past, you know, hundred years since the Great Depression. When we with all that we know about bank failures and bank runs and institutions and keeping them safe and why we have regulations, what we do, we're just kind of throwing that out the window, I think, with a lot of what's gone on in the space. And, you know, yeah, I do think that some of that, if not most of it, is born from this distrust or getting getting back at the man, so to speak. And you can s- see that also as it relates to gamestop and what's gone on with Wall Street mm-hmm. bets on Reddit I think there's a very healthy dose of that kind of mentality in that space um, you know when, when you look at what Wall Street bets had done it's kind of targeting just like hedge funds and saying look these guys are really highly levered let's uh, and and they're highly short on these stocks let's try to let's try to squeeze them and see if we can uh, get <coughs> ruin that at our to, to our own benefit, right? Uh, um, but yeah, I think I think that, and uh, you know, this kind of demand for another or an alternative way of thinking about economics. But like I said, unfortunately, I think it comes at least right now at the cost of uh, you know kind of ignoring a lot of what we've learned to this point, which is unfortunate.
0: And Andrew, it's worth pointing out that. You know, crypto has gone through multiple sort of iterations. And despite the fact that its origins were premised in distrust of legacy financial institutions, you know, that is now a minority strain, I would say, within the broader community of people that are into cryptocurrency. I mean, the reality is that for a number of years now, the vast majority of people simply buy cryptocurrency because they think they can sell it to someone else at a higher price in the future. And that by definition is a bubble. Uh, And of course we've seen that play out and, you know, we can talk about, you know, what makes cryptocurrency valuable, you know, why is someone willing to pay, you know, $15,000 for one Bitcoin. And, you know, it's a bit of a mystery because unlike traditional financial assets, there's no fundamentals. There's no cash flows that you're discounting to, you know, present time. Uh, normal currencies are valued relative to one another, right? There's the yen dollar exchange rate. That's going to be based on a number of factors like GDP, inflation, interest rates in the two countries. Of course, those concepts aren't applicable when it comes to cryptocurrencies. So that leaves you in essence with an asset that trades entirely on sentiment, you know, and the thing about sentiment is it can be completely fickle, but this is why, you know, social media, celebrities, you know, athletes are so critical because that's what's necessary to drive that sentiment. And at the end of the day, attract the next greater fool to come in and
1: buy it at that higher price. But that's, you know, a a house of cards. And we've seen that play out here. And how did they attract that, for lack of a better word, pardon the pun, currency with high profile people? How did crypto become that is kind of where I want to, I mean, how did it become cool?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question. As we talked about, there is a communal element to this, right? There's kind of this essence of we have inside knowledge, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the legacy financial institutions, legacy central banks are corrupted, right? They're not serving our interests. We have the answer, right? It's this decentralized, you know, cryptocurrency. And that really attracts a lot of a lot of people. And, you know, social media is absolutely critical to the rise of cryptocurrency. I mean, we would not be where we're at today without social media because it allows you to spread that message and bring in more true believers and also create an echo chamber where it's very easy to kind of shout down anyone who disagrees with you. And as someone who's a noted kind of crypto skeptic, I can tell you that I am not, you know, all that popular on on uh, social media, because you can't allow any of these doubts to fester, right, Lest the, the, the bubble burst. You know, when it comes to the, the celebrities and, you know, and the athletes, there's a natural overlap there, you know, between the audience and customers. You know, cryptocurrency is essentially gambling. Um, and we know that gambling is attractive to um, young men, principally. Right. And of course, that audience overlaps perfectly with um, sports. Right. And anyone who's watching the NFL these days, I mean, every other commercial seems to be a sports book, an online sports book. Right. So um, so there's just a natural overlap there um, between folks who watch sports, folks who gamble, folks who might be attracted to um, to cryptocurrency. And so it's sort of been a, a, a perfect confluence of events here.
1: John, you agree?
2: And I, I think, and you, you've got you got to also acknowledge in that, you know, we had the first kind of Bitcoin bull where things really took off. I get, you know, in the real mainstream in 2017, and you had the bubble that kind of pops towards the end of that, and that was the first big up and going. But that gets when you get to 2020, and you you talk about you know, how is this becoming popular? It's becoming popular because it's becoming easier to access. If you think about whereas in 2009 and 12 and 14 and 15, you, you needed a fair amount of additional technical knowledge to get there. And as you, 2016, 17, 18, these institutions that we're talking about, which how they've evolved, you know, for better or worse over time, have brought this to the mainstream. I could sit on my cell phone, go to download Coinbase or pick your favorite, Robinhood, I think nowadays, right? All these uh, apps and put a credit in and buy Bitcoin and be done. And I don't have to worry about a wallet. I don't have to worry about passwords for everything and cold storage and hard, hard drives and all these things. It's just really simple. It's, we got it to where you know somebody who's got and then you get into what lee's talking about there is that fear of missing out there is that gambling side the the possibility of a quick buck that you can make or quick fort it's not just quick buck quick lamborghini in your driveway i should say as yeah. we've seen some people realize that uh, and there's this allure of it and then you get to the pandemic and we're all sitting around at home with nothing to do but download sports gambling apps and day trading and cryptocurrency and you know you you get this uh, appeal for ordinary people to just pile in and um you're talking about making quick money this was a time of also of hardship for a lot of people right so losing jobs and everything else that went on so there's that natural progression that we have too where you, you get this cash into crypto. And on top of that, let's not also forget direct checks from the from the government that people could get into their Coinbase account if they wanted to. Um, so it contributes or contributed a, a lot to what we've seen.
1: Yeah, and now you've started to mention some of these companies and we'll get, obviously people want to know about FTX, we'll get there, but... You mentioned Coinbase. We hear about Crypto.com. We hear about companies like Binance and others. So if you could explain, guys, these are crypto exchanges where they would be comparable to stock exchanges. Uh, Maybe give us some parlance on what these companies like Coinbase and Crypto.com and maybe others are.
0: Sure. So, you know, these companies... Sure.
2: Go ahead, Lee. Go ahead, Lee.
0: So you know, so these companies tend to glob on to kind of traditional terms that we're accustomed to uh, in legacy finance. But the reality is, is that they're structured and they operate, you know, quite differently. And this is intentional, right? They want you to think that um, you know they're similar and that you know your money is is just as safe when when the truth is that it's not. So yeah, I mean, so they call themselves an exchange, right? And, you know, but that kind of masks a lot of the things that they're doing. So let's just take Coinbase for an example, uh, which is a publicly traded company. Uh, But Coinbase is acting as first a broker dealer, meaning that that's the place that I go to to place a trade uh, of cryptocurrency, just like Charles Schwab or E-Trade is a broker dealer, right? They're not the ones executing the trade. They're the place that's sort of taking my order and then routing it to an exchange. Uh, Well, then Coinbase is also going to be an exchange in the way that, you know, the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ is an exchange, right? They're going to maintain an order book, a central limit order book, and they're going to match buy and sell orders. Um, So they're fulfilling that function. Then they're also the custodian, meaning that when I buy Bitcoin, say, on Coinbase, they're holding on to that Bitcoin for me. Right. I am not having in possession what's known as the private keys. And that's really what, you know, c- crypto custody comes down to because you use your private key, which is simply an alphanumeric string of characters to sign or send a, a transaction. And there's a saying in crypto, not your keys, not your coins. So if you're, you know, giving your private key to some other entity, then, you know, technically you're not in possession of those, those cryptocurrencies. So, you know, most of us have a wallet uh, on Coinbase. If We use Coinbase, we keep our cryptocurrency on Coinbase. So, you know, Again, summary, they're the broker-dealer, they're the exchange, they're the custodian. And those three functions create inherent conflicts of interest. And in other times, they'll also be uh, the market maker. So when you look at FTX, for instance, what got them in trouble was an affiliated entity called Alameda Research, which was essentially right. a proprietary trading firm that traded on, on FTX. And so all of these things create conflicts of interest. And by the way, none of the normal consumer protections that we're used to when it comes to dealing with broker dealers and dealing with uh, stock exchanges, are present. When it comes to these crypto platforms, there's no capital requirements, there's no audit requirements, there's no prohibitions on you know things like uh, wash trading, or you know front running your customers or, or anything like that. So it really is the complete uh, wild west. And mm-hmm. you know when these crypto platforms, and I use the term platforms because so I think that's the more accurate description. You know, when they fail, as we've seen with FTX, you become if you're a customer, meaning that you have crypto on that exchange you or that platform, you become an unsecured creditor in that bankruptcy estate. Right. So you have to get in line just like everyone else, all the other creditors in hopes of getting your money back. And the reality is, is I'm sad to say it, but these folks are probably not going to see anything because yeah. we have the Mt. Gox exchange that failed in 2014 and no one's gotten a penny back. From that, so you know that is very different, of course, than if God forbid, you know, Charles Schwab or E-Trade would have failed. Yeah. Right? There's a there's a legal regime in place, Securities Investor Protection Corporation, that ensures that you still have protections, that you still have access to the securities that you own through those uh, through those platforms. So, you know, again, these exchanges or platforms in crypto want you to believe that they're similar to you know these traditional institutions we're used to. But the reality is very different.
1: Back to these guys in a minute. I want to give you a word from Rocket Money. Listen, I am one of these people that waste money on subscriptions. I'm one of 80% of people. (laughs) They get all these subscriptions. They forget about it. Maybe it's your unused Amazon. Maybe it's Hulu. There's a great app that helps track all of this. And because of it, I don't waste any time on subscriptions I don't use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money. It used to be known as Truebill. Do you really know how much you pay on subscriptions? Most, most people think they pay about $80 a month. The actual number is closer to 200 That's right. You're probably wasting hundreds of dollars every month subscriptions you don't know about, you don't even need. This is the app that takes care of all that for me. It shows all the subscriptions in one place, then cancels whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you don't even know you're paying for. And that's important. I mean, that I think all of us can have that out there. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel. That's it. Rocket Money takes the rest of the business out of it. They do it all for you. You may even find out you've been double charged. They handle that too. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com BOS, Business of Sports. Seriously, it could save you hundreds a year. That's rocketmoney.com slash BOS cancel these unnecessary script subscriptions right now rocketmoney.com slash BOS back to the
0: discussion.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I second pretty much everything that that, that you say there. It, and it, it comes back to this, you know, total lack of regulation, I think, in the space that really complicates what's going on and introduces a bunch of risk for individuals who, you know, again, when you think about who the investors are, may not realize that that risk is present. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to go as far as to say that that's predatory or something in that way, but it certainly is not, you know, as forthright as could be. And and you have institutions, uh, or platforms, as as you're calling them, which I, I think that's a great way to say it. You know, kind of functioning as banks, making loans. They're 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 taking money as deposits. Um, you know, and and they don't have the FDIC. They don't have the same backing. You don't have anywhere near the protection you would have in what we would view as legacy or mainstream financial institutions. And so, you know, you have a a, a lot of people who are out there who have invested or put money into these products that probably are not aware of these risks that are not, you know, made clear to them and they're losing their life savings and they're losing substantial amounts of money as a result of uh, at least in part, the lack of protections that, that, that they, that they are that they don't have
1: you know what's so interesting listening to this is sort of the the whole sports business, sports gambling aspect to it and both you guys have talked about that jumping on the scene I liken this and maybe I'm totally off base but in 2015 as you guys remember as everyone remembers two companies just burst on the scene. FanDuel and DraftKings. And they're, and of course, gambling wasn't legal then. We hadn't had the 2018 Supreme Court case, but they're everywhere. And they're all over sports media. They're all over games. And they're embracing this fantasy sports daily fantasy. And I had both those chairmen on my podcast and basically just like two startups going crazy. Is, is it analogous at all to talk about, say, FTX and Crypto.com in the same way? They just seem to burst on the scene, at least from the sports space, trying to get market share, trying to get this cool aspect from consumers. And then as we know, locking up a lot of sports properties, including athletes.
2: I yeah, they and and I, I think you can kind of make a good comparison too and how they're trying to be how aggressively they're trying to find business. Um, When you when you think about you know we along with FTX you had failures at places like Celsius, yeah. BlockFi's, and that too, and there you know it, it, the the pursuit of um, clientele for DraftKings and and FanDuel and the like, they're they've been very aggressive, not just with marketing on television, but also through what they've offered as far as, you know, risk-free bets and promotions and everything else. And I think you get uh, a comparable feel with some of the the crypto firms that are out there um, offering, you know, you're talking about some of these places offering you eight, 9% interest on your deposits and um, promo- promotions for matching your deposits and for attracting business in. Um, and and I, I think that's, there's some, good comparison between the two because it's a similar kind of pursuit of trying to capture market share and become the leader in this space um and there become you know you end up with a handful of institutions or platforms that become uh large scale in this process but at what cost Um, and running a sports book is very different than running a what amounts to a bank or a, a trading platform or something like that it's a very different Uh, end result i think that you're getting at that involves a different type of risk that again can be hidden uh, depending on the perspective at at least with sports gambling the risk is very obvious right what's (laughs) what you're getting yourself into i think know
1: what you're doing yeah 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 well ftx is the company that's been in the news lately and i mentioned sports so they've invested into naming rights for the miami heat arena the Cal Golden Bears stadium and then of course all these athletes from Steph Curry to Tom Brady to Giselle to Naomi Osaka to she- Shohei Otani, uh, and the list goes on. So I guess where we start with FTX is what was their attraction we've I think we've kind of gone over what the attraction of the athletes was to them but Here's the question I keep coming back to. All of these athletes are represented by lawyers, agents with great experience. Mm -hmm. Are they just snowed too? I mean, if Steph Curry and Tom Brady saying to their agents, uh, you sure about this? (laughs) And the agents are saying, yeah, of course, everybody's doing it. Look at the money they got. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering what goes on in those conversations if either guy's well,
0: uh, you know, I would like to know as well, Adam, and I think, you know, uh, we probably will know soon enough, given um, various class action lawsuits that are out there. And once we start the discovery process, you know, we'll we'll kind of turn to the proverbial question is, you know, what did you know? When did you know it, right? Um, you know, the, the fact is, is that, you know, any, you know, endorser of a product, you know, has, in my opinion, a moral obligation, but they also have a legal obligation to um, understand that what they're promoting is not going to harm people, either physically or financially. Um, And so I think, you know, what happened with these celebrity endorsers is just... You know, it was really awful and and unconscionable when you think about it. I mean, you look at some of these actual ad campaigns, I mean, for FTX, like look at the Steph Curry commercial, right? The whole thing is premised on he's not the expert, but FTX is the safe place to invest in cryptocurrency, right? Which was obviously, you know, not true. And so the ads were kind of implying that, yeah, we all know that there's a lot of risk in crypto, we're not experts, but we know that FTX is kind of the the place that's going to take care of you, right? It's going to keep your your money safe. Um, And so what type of assurances did they have that that was, in fact, the case? I mean, we're finding out new information about FTX by the day. And if you look at some of the filings um, from John Ray, who's the new CEO that's sort of steering the company through the bankruptcy process, who, by the way, oversaw Um, the Enron bankruptcy. And in his first day declaration to the bankruptcy court, he said that this was the worst corporate governance failure he'd seen in his history, Um, (laughs) you know, in his career. Um, And some of the details were quite shocking. I mean, there was no uh, centralized cash management system. Uh, There was no accounting. There was no books and records. Um, Employee reimbursements were conducted via chat and approved uh, by managers sending emojis, things of that nature. So you have to ask yourself, man, anyone who dealt with this company had to have some insights that this was not, you know, a very well-functioning company, that they were doing things a bit differently because John Ray was, you know, he wasn't even there for a week. Right. And so I would have to imagine that these celebrities and their representatives had to have some indications um, that, you know, FTX wasn't, you know, all cracked up to be what it said, said it was. And furthermore, you know, cryptos has a long and troubled history that I think is well known to to many people, right? We all see the volatility. There's been a number of high profile failures. There's been numerous of numerous government reports that have called out cryptocurrencies use in ransomware attacks. I mean, remember the Colonial Pipeline hack from 2021 that shut down the uh, southeastern uh, gas supplies I mean, here in Durham, North Carolina, you couldn't get gas for a week. Well, crypto's fueled ransomware. We know cryptocurrencies being used by Iran, North Korea, Russia to bypass U.S. economic sanctions. We know that there is a tremendous environmental uh, impacts associated with the proof of work uh, mining process that Bitcoin uses. So this is all public knowledge. And so when a crypto firm comes to you and says, hey, you know, we want to pay you to endorse this. You know, you had you have an obligation to understand that, you know, this firm is legitimate and that you know the things that you're saying are in fact um True. So you know we'll see how it, it plays out. I mean, from a, a straight up legal standpoint, you know it is illegal to what's called tout unregistered securities, right? And so if you are a celebrity or anyone who is um, paid to promote a security, you have to disclose the the nature and the amount of that that compensation. And there's been a couple of cases where where the SEC has charged celebrities for failing to do that in the cryptocurrency context. So DJ Khaled. Floyd Mayweather uh, back in 2018, more recently, Kim Kardashian, if folks remember that. The, the challenge when you look at FTX in particular is that those celebrities were promoting the company itself, the platform, mm-hmm. and not necessarily any products listed on the platform. And most of these crypto platforms are listing unregistered securities. And the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, has said this repeatedly, and we're starting to see you know, enforcement actions to, to support this claim. Um, so it's a, so that is a challenge. But I still think the general anti-fraud provisions of our securities laws apply um, in this case. So we'll see how it plays out. But make no mistake, people bought cryptocurrency on FTX specifically because it was endorsed by these celebrities. And we're going to see this I mean, because we already have examples of it in other contexts. You know, the Voyager bankruptcy, another crypto firm that was promoted by Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks you know in some of those proceedings you have you know uh testimony from customers that said yeah i mean the mavericks promoted it it seemed legit to me you know that's why yeah. i got in on it um you know so people lost money because of what these celebrities said and did when it came to to ftx and uh, and it's really shameful in my opinion
2: yeah i and i mean i i i can i can kind of say that too is as somebody who's who is involved with voyager and celsius on the losing side of this thing too i mean there is that appeal but there's also again this kind of aggressive pursuit of clients um uh involved in it but i i i I think we go back to that idea of what are the what are the what are the the, these companies saying to the lawyers and the spokespeople getting into that and to just play a devil's advocate a little bit here I could see how, you know, you could make a pitch to somebody and highlight all of the potential that there is with decentralized finance. Now, that's not to say that these companies were models of governance and risk management because they, looks like they weren't, (laughs) Um, but, you know, and, and that's also not to say that, you know, we should ignore volatility of the underlying assets because it's, it's all there. And you, you know, I can find you statistics about volatility of Bitcoin and and ether and everything else relative to currencies and commodities, but you can point to potentially, you know, and we've been, I think we've, we've, we've been very kind of negative about things so far and understandably so. Um, But when you look at what the blockchain can do uh, and what, some of these decentralized things what you applications of them in a finance setting there is promise there and i'll and i will agree with what lee said because proof of work on a blockchain especially with the scale of bitcoin's at becomes tremendous a, a tremendous impact to the environment and you can replace that with things like proof of stake there are alternatives um But when you think about settlement, when you think about records for real estate, potentially for medicine, when you think about um, trading and you look at, if we go back to we touched on GameStop a little bit, you know, one of the things that was controversial about GameStop was that, you know, places shut down the ability of retail investors to trade, to actually get out of GameStop. And some people pointed to that to say, oh, they're 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 putting a pause on this so all the big guys can get out ahead of the little guys. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's truth to that. But when you think about how settlement works with stocks, you buy a stock, the seller of the stock still has two days to deliver that security to you. Even in 2022 sitting here, it's not instantaneous settlement. And, you know, I don't want to say a blockchain fixes that fully, but blockchain and more You know instantaneous types of settlement processes can help that process and you think about you know globally how the banking system works and how we're you know russia and swift that was a big deal you know 10 months ago Mm -hmm. russia goes into ukraine we throw russia off swift and that's you know was was a big big deal that that happened But Swift is a network that operates on like fax machines and, you know, very antiquated types of technology in places. And there's a very high profile case of Swift being uh, taken advantage of. We brought up North Korea. Here they come again uh, with the Bank of Bangladesh and the Lazarus Group, which is a North Korean associated hacking uh, organization. And there's volumes and podcasts all about what happened there. But again, you kind of. You know what if we can remove some of the antiquated stuff that goes on in our international banking system and and replace it with a more instantaneous, more direct settlement system. So, you know, we're we're talking about some of the negatives that come from crypto, and there there certainly are, and there's certainly risks and it's there's certainly bubble like characteristics, if we don't want to yeah. call it an outright bubble. But what's underneath of it in my view, is what's got the the potential to be the game changer as we progress with things. And cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, might not be here in 10 years, but blockchain technologies and the, the applications of it, I think, are what could be long-run beneficial and where the growth opportunity, the more stable and long-run growth opportunity is. And you can see that because legacy institutions that are the enemy of, of the crypto people right. JP Morgan is developing their own digital currency there. And, and in fact, I just read a, maybe a week or two ago that the first bank-to-bank settlement internationally was done with JP Morgan's digital token system. Um, so that's moving along. So there's potential there. And I also, you know, JP Morgan's investment just this year in fintech and and in blockchain type stuff is going to outpace all of what the crypto ecosystem is investing in that space uh, as an as a entire total for this year. So, you know, that should tell you something about this potential. It's, it's not necessarily in the tokens themselves. It's in what's under the hood, I think. And so bringing it full circle, I mean, I could certainly see, you know, an exchange or somebody extolling these virtues of, of fintech, and maybe leaving out some of the not so great stuff, and really putting a positive spin on it to convince people to bring them into this fold. Uh, and you could certainly make the argument that FTX and others were could argue that they were part of this, you know, these innovations. So,
1: thanks so much, John, for really distinguishing that. You know, that is a big distinction. We get so caught up in crypto, we don't talk about sort of the more basic aspect of the blockchain and getting back to a little bit of getting caught up into crypto. I'd be remiss to say with the, with the S F T X, that guy, Sam Bankman Fried, who's been in the news with his floppy hair and his baby face over the past two months. Uh, I'm just floored again. I, you can make a case that the athletes don't, didn't understand that, but am I missing something? Wasn't he, And maybe isn't he still? Well, it's more wasn't he? Wasn't he the darling of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Congress? I mean, this guy was feted by congressmen, by Andreessen Horowitz, by Sequoia. I mean, what are we missing here?
0: Well, there's a... So there's a crypto-specific aspect to this story, but then there's the universal aspect to this story. And let's start with the universal, which is, you know, we, meaning the public and certainly investors, repeatedly fall in love with the young hotshot CEO. I mean, just look at over the past, you know, ten years. We've had Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. We've mm. had Adam Newman and WeWork. We've had um, uh, Trevor Milton with um, the I uh, forget his Nicola. Uh, right. So, you know, this is something, you know, we, we repeatedly suspend disbelief because, you know, we want to, and, you know, the VCs do play a big role in this. I mean, the whole business model of a venture capital firm is that, um, you know, you strike out, uh, you know, nine times, but you hit a home run, you know, every, that 10th time, right. And you get the, the 10 X, uh, or greater, you know, returns. And, and that's kind of what they're saying in the wake of FTX to say, listen, you know, like it wasn't that big of a chunk of our portfolio. We're in the business of taking risks this didn't pan out, you know, oh, well. Um, but you do have to ask, like, where was the due diligence here? Right. Um, and, you know, the reality, though, is that VCs have an incentive not to do due diligence because God forbid you develop a reputation as being founder unfriendly. And then you start getting locked out of the, you know, future deals. Uh, and so you turn the other way uh, when you're when you know you don't look, or you turn the other way when you do see um, when you do see issues. Now the the crypto specific aspect of this story is that it's so new, and it's essentially unregulated. And so Sam Bankman Fried was a very uh, present <laughs> um, personality in DC. Uh, and he had learned, I think, uh, from uh, big tech's mistakes in the past when it came to um, D.C. I mean, he was meeting with not just senators and congressmen, but, you know, staff members at you know, relatively obscure regulatory agencies like the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Right. I mean, like, can you imagine Jeff Bezos having met with, you know, the staff at the Federal Trade Commission, for instance, you know, and um, so he was really putting on a charm and, uh, a charm offensive and it was working. Um, And he was very active in ongoing policy debates. And he was about to have some success in pushing, you know, one specific bill uh, over the finish line that would have given the Commodity Futures Trading Commission oversight over crypto markets. So now that's kind of all going back to to square one when it comes to, you know, crypto um, legislation. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the nature of the media and policymakers when something new comes along is like, we want to attach like a face to it. Like who's the, you know, who's the head of this new thing. And he was more than happy to kind of step in and fill that role and become the face of crypto. Obviously he didn't deserve that. But again, this is something that you see, you know, time and time again.
2: I I mean, I think that's a, that's a great response. And the, the thing I can add to that is when you talk about due diligence in the VC process, what's the story that we have heard is that, uh, they received their funding while Sam was uh, playing League of Legends, I think, on a laptop and paying no attention to anything that was happening in the meeting. So, you know, that that should tell you a good bit of the story about, uh, you know, how how these the VCs viewed it and how they've how they've done this. But your point is, I think, exactly right about how they approach uh, building their portfolios and and thinking about risk at their their level. That's what they do. So makes total sense. Yeah,
1: I mean, he became this darling. I mean the, the stories and you talked about John Ray's comment about the, the, the unraveling of what trying to what goes on. I mean this house in the Bahamas and you mentioned the Alameda research connection and, yeah. and I mean again, I'm naive. I don't know if this is something that goes on <laughs> more than this situation and VC's and like, yeah, it happens now and then, whatever. But it's like, wait a minute what uh, all this stuff you read about with him and his is I guess I can see what you're saying Lee that he's becomes this this face and he doesn't care how he looks and he's young and his parents are professors at heart at Stanford and he went to mm-hmm. MIT. I mean it, he, he fit the mold right yeah
0: he yeah, had the pedigree for sure.
1: So what happens? I mean you and I are lawyers <laughs> do these class action suits? have some gravitas? I mean, I see that David Boy is involved with one of them or both two of them. Do you think there's some meat behind this?
0: Oh, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I mean, you know, listen, like most, you know, class action lawsuits, um, you know, the goal is probably to get to settlement, right? And, you know, what I think these celebrities absolutely do not want to have happen is to see a flood of stories coming out Uh, about how various individuals lost their life savings or their children's college education fund because they put money into FTX uh, because of these assurances provided by, you know, Tom Brady, Larry David, you know, you know, whoever it, it may be. I mean, you know, people are generally so you know, the Pew Research came out with a study a few months ago, and, and only 16% of Americans were invested in cryptocurrency, despite the 71% of, of survey respondents saying that they were aware of crypto. Um, and you have to assume that those 71% who were aware but hadn't invested in it, you know, did it because they were concerned about the volatility and the riskiness and the unregulated nature and all these stories about frauds and scams and hacks that they were were hearing about. And of course, you know, these celebrity endorsements were designed to kind of overcome you know, that uh, hesitation. And so, you know, yeah, you can say, well, you should have known better. But when it comes to FT, you know, caveat emptor, right? But when it comes to FTX, you know, this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, was on the cover of Fortune, on the cover of Forbes, you know, meeting with, you know, congressmen, meeting with senators, uh, you know, had the naming rights to the Miami Heat Arena, had all these, you know, celebrity endorsers. So it doesn't look more legitimate um, than that. And so, you know, we've seen some just truly heartbreaking stories in some of these other, um, crypto failures, Celsius and Voyager being one. Um, and we're about, to, you know, because right now, the first couple of weeks have all been about, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried and sort of the salacious stories and what was happening in the Bahamas and his various relationships with staff and regulators and this and that. Um, but shortly here, the story is going to move on to yeah. everyday people. Um, and it's they're going to be hard to read. Uh, But I think it's important that, you know, policymakers and other celebrities and would-be endorsers of the future, um, you know, read these stories and take heed the next time they're asked to promote something that, you know, they're not sure about. You know, this isn't a six-inch sub we're talking about here. You know, this is people's life savings. Right.
2: But you, you do have, and I, I mean, I, I can, and I'm not, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm the one that's not a lawyer. here. But but I, what I don't know is, and I, I would bring this up, and I think this is interesting to think about is, you know, you, you have similar stories about Hood, yeah. with people who are losing a lot on derivatives and options trading and being allowed to take on, potentially take on leverage that they shouldn't have taken on, things like that. Um, you know, is there a parallel here as far as, um you know do do, do these folks have the same type of a uh claim that they could make that they say you know i didn't understand this risk you led me down this path um you know and i don't know and i would ask you guys that i think that's interesting to to wonder about but um you know i I think there's some some comparable there it's robin hood's not necessarily out there saying like trust us we're the epitome of uh you know governance here but I do wonder about that as, as far as a comparable goes.
1: Back to this fascinating discussion on crypto and FTX in a minute. First, I'm one of my favorite sponsors, AG1. You guys know me. I've been using it for years. I just dump a scoop into water every single morning. I eat healthy. I try to live healthy, but I don't get my greens. I don't get what I need. So I get my AG1 every day. It's a routine I've been doing for years and I'm going to do for years ahead. Basically costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health. It's cheaper than a cold brew. And you're investing in -in all-in-one nutritional supplements. Been good for sleep, recovery, mental clarity, alertness. Uses the best of the best products based on the latest science. With constant product iterations. I get a new one every year, it seems. Third-party testing is in there. And it tastes good. That's the thing. It's time to reclaim your health. Get your immune system as the winter comes all charged up with convenient and daily nutrition. One scoop a day into water. No need for different pills and supplements. Do it this way. To make it easy, app AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. They're great when I go on the road. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com BOS. Again, athleticgreens.com BOS. To take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, AG1. Back to the discussion. Okay, so here we are. Uh, FTX is no longer. Crypto.com still seems to be going on, and they're sponsoring the uh, former Staples Center with a huge deal. Of course, the big deal, you got Matt Damon in the Super Bowl ad. Mm -hmm. So uh, do we have good faith that the Crypto.com won't fall the same way as FTX?
0: Oh, I have zero faith. I mean, yeah. you know, listen, <laughs> crypto has a lot of problems. I think the biggest is that these are just assets that are created out of thin air. You know, it's just code that we ascribe value to for, for some unknown reason. Yeah. Um, and so the whole industry, frankly, is is a house of cards. And, you know, FTX is not an isolated incident, right? It's but the latest in a number of firms that have failed over the past year and you know one of crypto's problems is that there's no lender of last resort to step in and stop the hemorrhaging you know when you see contagion like this in traditional finance you know that's why you have a central bank so the central bank can step in and provide liquidity to those who who need it and you know one of the you know kind of the ironies i guess of the the FTX saga was that Sam Bankman-Fried himself had been a lender of last resort up until Recently, that he had and FTX had, um, you know, backstop a number of firms that had either failed or on the cusp of uh, of failure, and you know, it turns out he probably needed to do that in order to prevent uh, his own firm's demise. Um, so, you know, this is a classic contagion event. You know, we've seen this time and time again in traditional financial markets, and you know, we've already seen other firms go down. Um, we've seen BlockFi um go down um you know there's some concerns around uh genesis and its relationship to uh uh the winkle Boss, uh, uh firm gemini uh the crypto exchange i mean so i don't want to you know spread or, or you know any rumors here um but there's no reason to expect that this is an isolated incident it's going to just end here i mean i've we're going to see more dominoes to fall um, and everyone, you know, right now, the rush is on to kind of demonstrate that you actually have custody of customer assets in insufficient quantities to meet potential uh, outflows. So that's the name of the game right now. And, you know, even the largest crypto exchange, Binance, you know, there's a front page story in the, the Wall Street Journal um, today about, um, you know, what they call a proof of reserve, which is not the same thing as an audit. Um, so I don't know when the when the end is <laughs> will occur, but it's it's not now.
2: Well, and, you know, to your to your point about it, so this comes down to liquidity and it comes down to bank runs. So I'll reiterate, you know, and it's ironic that this all happens in the year that the Nobel Prize in economics went to three guys who did all their, you know, their seminal work on bank runs and liquidity. (laughs) And so, you know, you don't have a lender of last resort. You have no FDIC. um, And this is almost like if you think back to, again, the Great Depression there's a bank holiday and the bank holiday was everybody's going to shut down and we're going to do an audit and we're all going to convince everybody that things are fine. And a lot of banks never reopened even from the bank holiday. And even when they did, they started to collapse and fail again because of all the bank runs. Same thing when you don't have a backstop and when you don't have confidence in the system, it's not going to go well. And, and that's where we are. And regardless of whether these firms are, Properly managed in terms of their asset and liability management and how their portfolio looks. If you don't have confidence and people are lining up to pull their stuff, you're in real trouble. Um, and and so as you have rumors and as you have this spread of panic and contagion happens, it's gonna persist uh, until something changes. And right now, n- not much has changed. And I'll add. On top of the, all the exchanges and the, like people like Binance now, and that we're thinking about, let's add to that mix stable coins, which we haven't really brought into this discussion. But Tether is a really important and widely used stable coin. We had an issue with Terra back in the spring, which was a stable coin that lost its peg. Now Tether is there, and they've been off their peg, but managed to bounce back up to their one dollar per Tether peg. But what they've got, they've got a substantial burden of proof as well, as to say, what what do we have in our portfolio that's backing, you know, this 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 coin? Because again, you want your tether should be equal always to be redeemable for a, one U.S. dollar, um, and if they don't have sufficient reserves and sufficient assets to back that, there's real trouble there. And there's a substantial amount of uh, you know volume in tether and other stable coins. Um, who are meant to be there as kind of a go-between and as a uh, an asset in the crypto space that can help people along. So um, that's another area, I think, yeah. to watch on top of all and, this stuff. And
0: Andrew, to bring it back to sports, you know, John mentioned Terra, which was an algorithmic stablecoin. Mm-hmm you know meaning that its its value wasn't backed by any real assets it was just supposed to be backed by code that was endorsed by the Washington Nationals mm. you know they actually had the terra logo stitched on the seats behind home plate and wow. the Washington Nationals social media uh, accounts were putting out promotional videos on how to buy crypto or interact with crypto um you know by using you know terra so um, you know, that's a particularly egregious example because that collapsed and is essentially completely worthless now. Um, and I don't know if the Washington Nationals are being are being sued for that, but it's certainly not a good look for the team.
1: Guys, we're going to have to wrap it up there. What a great, great educational, informative, entertaining podcast. Really appreciate it. John, setting off my colleague at Villanova University, Lee Feiner, lecturer at Duke's Law School, lecturing fellow there, policy director of Duke's Financial Economics Center. Thank you guys so much for educating us on crypto, on FTX, on SBF and his hair, and on what's ahead in that world. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Really hope you guys enjoyed that. I wanted to take a deep dive into crypto. I know it's not the deepest dive, but from a sports podcast, really look at it. And we'll do more on that. As we said, we didn't get to NFTs. I'm going to do a whole different podcast on that. Thanks to John. Thanks to Lee. Thanks to you guys. You can follow me, obviously, on Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Instagram, we're doing reels every single day at Andrew Brandt2. And, of course, the newsletter, andrew-brandt.com is where you sign up. You can also sign up for my Sports Business League, where I do instruction every day and weekly meetings. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Give us a good rating. If you would, you can support the podcast, Andrew dash brand 20 at Venmo. And of course, share it with a friend. If you would, thanks to producer Jack Connell, my music producer, Sam Brandt. Thanks to you for listening. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt.